Peace, family, and welcome back to another episode of the Meeting of the Minds podcast. I'm your host, Open Hands. As some of you may know, October of 2021 marks the 55th anniversary of the Black Panther Party. Along with media outlets like us sharing stories and information about the Panthers' history and honoring their contributions to political and community growth, there'll also be huge celebrations happening over the month of October, which we'll hear more about today from our distinguished guest, We have on the show with us Billy X. Jennings. Billy X. joined the Black Panther Party in 1968. It's just after high school for him. As just two years after its founding in 1966 by Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale, while there in those early years, he worked out of the Black Panther National Headquarters in Oakland, where in addition to becoming personal aide to Huey Newton, He helped uh, with the implementation of the first free breakfast programs, was part of the initial cycles of outreach and recruitment, and came in contact with Panther leaders from branches all over the United States, among many other things. Uh, Currently, he serves as leading historian and archivist for the Black Panther Party. We usually drop contact and online info about our guests at the end of the show, but if you're listening out there and you're not driving or mowing the lawn or something, you could go to Billy X's website. It's about time bpp.com, which is the official alumni site of the Black Panther Party. And you can follow along with this conversation with a wealth of incredible photographs and links to books and press clippings and art. So if you're able, go ahead and pull that up. And if you're out there walking the dogs or whatever with your headphones on, go ahead and turn the volume up. Come on in and hear some incredible stories and wisdom from Billy X. Jennings. Thank you so much for for coming on and joining us. I I, I told you before when we're when we're getting ready to do this, I got I got a lot of questions. Um, you have a lot of stories that are surrounding you, and and I always try to hesitate a little bit on having incredible guests on the show talk too much about other people, but I think you know too much for me to not ask you about some other people as we go down the line. But before we even get into that, um, let's start with you. Being a historian, you know, uh, uh, you've you've collected all of these stories, but in your own kind of history, we know that you moved from San Diego to, to Oakland in, what, 68, and joined the Black Panther Party. But even leading up into that, as, as early as you want to start, uh, I'm really interested to know what kind of, um, yeah, what kind of kind of experiences shaped that path into that kind of activism and political action. And then, if you will, to carry on from, from 68 into, into giving us a kind of like a quick rundown of where you're at now with the It's About Time project and, yeah, what's happened since. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me start. I was born in a city called Hobson City, Alabama. Okay. If you look in your history books, you'll find out Hobson City was the only city in Alabama that blacks could vote. In fact, we had our own municipality. In fact, there was only one other city in the South uh, that had that municipality thing, and that was Rosewood. But that was burnt down. But I can't, I held, I came from a city that blacks could vote already. They had their own mark. It was a constable we had. Uh, we had our own judge and so forth. So I came from an attitude or that you're no better than he, you know. 
Mm. You know, blacks were fighting for equal rights in the 50s. I was born in 1950. Uh, in 1950, 55, 56, uh, my dad was in the military. He was transferred out to San Diego, California. And at that time, the bus boycott was started in Montgomery, Alabama, with uh, Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King leading. Mm-hmm. One of the conditions my mother had for us, me and my sister, to come to California was that my dad, once we got there, he would buy a living room set and a TV. And the <laughs> TV was because she wanted to keep up with the civil rights struggle in, in Alabama. So we're out in California. Uh, San Diego, we're watching TV every day, we're keeping up with the struggle, and basically my attitude toward, which later developed into a militant attitude, came from my mother. She was like a, she was a, uh, she was not a follower of Martin Luther King. She did not Uh believe in turning the cheek, you know, she did, you know, she believed for eye for eye, and that's the way she brought me up to be, Mm. right? So, I have this attitude already that you know better than me. I can stand in my ground and so forth. And so in 1968, I found the Black Panther Party. And I found the Black Panther Party via the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War in 1968 and 69, 70 was the glue that brought us all together. Yeah. Black Panther Party uh, was against the war. Martin Luther King was against the war. SDS, a lot of young people and a lot of uh, uh, ministers and just regular people was against the war. Can you say what SDS is? SDS was an uh, anti-war group called Student for Democratic Society. Mm-hmm. And they were the biggest on-campus student group in America. And we had alliances with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the glue, that's that's what brought us all together. Because at 17, I arrive in Oakland, and at 18, you're supposed to go down to the Selected Service Board and register for the draft, right? Uh-huh. And so once I, uh, when I moved to Oakland, uh, one of my neighbors was a leading member of the party, and they were having political education classes at his house. So I went to my first political education class, and they were reading the 10-point program, and they Red number six says they want all black men sent for military service. Boom. <laughs> huh. That hit me because that affected me. <laughs> Directly, right? Yeah. Immediately, huh? Immediately. Because the only other person I knew that was against the war at that time was Muhammad Ali. And when he said he was against the war in 67, I immediately said, I ain't going to Vietnam. Hmm. You know, and that's before I got political. That's before. I know the ramifications of of the war and all those things before I actually joined the party. The party really deepened my understanding in the overall view of what's happening with black people in America, was was happening with black people in the world. So that was a uh, that was the beginning, you know. So when I moved to Oakland, I started working uh, with the party, and actually my first experience. Actually, before I met my met my neighbor, was I was going to Laney College, which is a JC college in Oakland, which is downtown. Uh-huh. And I was taking a class that summer. Uh, I had eleven o'clock to eleven fifty criminology class. By eleven thirty in my class, I started hearing this chant: "Free Huey, Free Huey." And in the fake background, you can hear them saying, "Off the pig, Free Huey, Off the pig." 
And so by the time 11.50 came, me and my partner bounced out of the class and followed the chain. And what happened was it was the first day of the Huey P. Newton tribe. Yeah. There was hundreds and hundreds of people circling the Oakland Alameda County Courthouse. And so uh, one of the things I did that day was to listen to some of the speeches that was given by some of the Panthers. And they were talking about the same thing I was reading in the book I had in my hand. It was called the Autobiography, the Autobiography of Malcolm X. I was reading that at the time. Which was a new book at the time, right? It was brand new. Uh -huh. But my English, my English teacher had given it to me as a gift, not as a present, but as a personal gift. She, said to, she says, this might help you, because I was trying to understand what was going on. You know, I was in, I was in a white high school. In fact, there was only me and another brother in the graduating class. Wow. And so she gave me this book. The night I graduated from high school, I jumped on the Greyhound bus and, and rode to Oakland reading this book. So by the time I entered uh, Laney College, I'm pretty deep into the book. And I hear the Panthers talking about the same thing Malcolm was talking about. Then I met my neighbor and started going to rallies and political education classes. And I, uh, I became a Panther in training. Uh, most people don't talk about this, but in order to join the Black Panther Party back in those days, you had to go through a six to eight week training. You just couldn't walk off the street and say, hey, I'm a Panther. Mm -hmm. You couldn't do that. You had to go through training. And the training consists, the first thing they give you offhand is a, a is a book list. It consists of maybe 38 books. And can you, can you recall Fanon, a few, any of the, the books that's on there? France for Known, Wretched of the Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in fact, a couple of his books, Dying Colonialism, Black Face, White, White Mess. Mess. Uh -huh. uh, then there was books by Du Bois. There was books by uh, Krama Kruma. Mm -hmm. It was books by Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, um, and one one special book that we carried with us wherever we went was Chairman Mao's quotations from Chairman Mao, the Red Book. Uh -huh. Actually, when I joined the party, you had to have Krumah's Black Book in one pocket and and Chairman Mao's Red book. book in the other pocket. <laughs> and if you didn't have them, that was worth twenty five push ups on the spot. But back to the studying part. Black Panther Party was really, I mean, they were really into studying and seeking knowledge in order to solve the problems in the community. So once you um, became a Panther training, you had to read two hours a day by yourself. You had to attend political education classes two times a week. You had to read the Black Panther Party from cover to cover before you sold it. So there was a lot of... Uh, um, direction in terms of reading and getting ed education because when you go into the community knocking door to door you have to have answers for people you can't say uh uh, uh i don't know let me get let, let me get back to you you know yeah and so you have to have the information before you go out into the community another aspect of being a panther training is you, you have to obtain a weapon you had to obtain a weapon, and you had to have a thousand rounds of ammunition. You had to go to the range. You had to learn gun safety, and you had to, um, like I say, go to the range and do target practice. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, also, you was assigned a geographical area that you were to work in and get to know the people and solve start solving problems in, in local areas. Now, my area 
with Brookfield's Brainy Park, which is a uh, 99% black community. Uh, so I dealt with mostly at that time, uh, most of uh, my organizing was around black student unions. They, that was a new phenomenon on most campuses. Mm -hmm. Black people were getting together and organized for student rights. And that was blown up by San Francisco State College, who went on strike in 1968 for ethnic studies and won that strike. Followed by the next year, UC Berkeley went on strike for ethnic studies, and they won that strike. So how California goes is how the nation goes. So once those two levels of education uh, accepted ethnic studies, it went across the country. It has mm -hmm. to be like 3,500 uh, professors got tenure. Uh, they have a new department. They had to hire a bunch of people and so forth. And that came from students standing up for their rights. So uh, the first six to eight weeks in the party is really a learning process. And then once I, well, in 1969, the things we talked about in 68 started to happen for us. We started our first free breakfast program, which I attended. Uh, during that time, I worked out of the East Oakland office under Robert Bate. Robert B, uh, as my life in the party developed, he was an instrumental part in my development. But he ran the East Oakland office. And so when we started the breakfast program for school children in 19, January 1969, I attended the first one um, mainly because they had to send two people from each office to learn how to run the breakfast program so that we could come back to our area and and institute those programs. Uh -huh. So I went to the uh, first week of the breakfast programs. We came back in East Oakland. We started three breakfast programs, right? Uh, throughout East Oakland, we were feeding like maybe 125, maybe 140 kids a day at East Location. And uh, at this point, sorry to interject, how many, how many chapters are there at this point? Of the Black Panther Party? Yeah. At this time, there's like 48 chapters of the Black Panther Party. Okay, okay. So, so the breakfast program, even though it started in Oakland, Bobby Seale seen how it was running, and he made a mandate that every office started uh, the breakfast program. Mm -hmm. So instantly, that breakfast program became a national program because we had 48 offices and chapters throughout America and, and in 30 major cities. Mm -hmm. So in even... If there wasn't a Black Panther Party office there, they could be like a BSU, a Black Student Union, who's taking the task of feeding kids in their geographical area. Right. right. So the party had big sway they, uh, with a lot of college students. Many of us were college students. The average age of a Panther during that time was about 20, 21 years old. I mean, even though I was 17, 18, you know. Uh, we had people coming out of high school joining the party, uh, people coming back from the Vietnam War joining the party, people who are gaining political consciousness. That light comes onto their head. Yes, we should do something for the community. Right. Yes, we should fight, uh, defend the community. Boom, and the next place they find themselves at the Black Panther Party office doing work in the community. Mm. Can can I ask you a quick uh, just the, a couple of details on on the free breakfast program? I especially especially touches me in the idea that it was able to be um, 
kind of like that idea of come that leaders come in to observe so you could replicate this program and then also teach it to organizations even outside of the the party what what were some of the the the, the details if people want to replicate that today like for example where did you how did you guys fund the food and where did the food come from how did you yeah if you were just to give a couple details that for people that okay. want to feed the community right now okay right now if people wanted to uh, uh, feed the community what I would tell them to do is find a geographical location where the kids are really hungry at, mm-hmm. right? Uh, find that area, find the nearest facility. Now, most of our facilities were churches. 90% of the locations of the Black Panther Party uh, breakfast programs were located in churches, okay. right? So there are churches in the community. I mean, almost every block, <laughs> but they are. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, there's ministers uh, in those churches that understand, hey, these are our kids who attend our school, attend our church. You know, they're hungry, and these, these young men are doing something about it, and we got support that way. So we found a geographical location. Um, so the next thing we would do is leaflet the neighborhood. Let people know that, hey, we're starting this program. Uh, we have any questions. People will be coming around to your door, or you can call this certain number. Uh, then uh, uh, we will pass out with the leaflets our menu, what we're going to be serving the kids, right? And then uh, the, the actually the second thing we would do was would go start collecting donations, mm-hmm. and and many times it started right there in that church. You know, the pastor, the minister, whoever was running, or one of the deacons might get up and say, and say, hey, uh, many of you kids, your kids go to the breakfast program here. We're passing the plate for them. Mm-hmm. You know, we got that donation. Then we would start hitting up moms and pop stores in the geographical area where people in the community um, uh, 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 shop at. You know, that includes uh, stores like Safeways, Lucky's, A&P, and stores like that, and ask them to donate. Right? Mm-hmm. So, Many of the small moms and pop stores that exist in our community, they, you know, some say, oh, I can't give that much. So they might say, hey, I can give a gallon of milk and two loaves of bread. And next door might say, hey, I can give you a pound of bacon or, or so forth. Yeah, so, yeah. so if you got 12, 13 locations where you're picking up donations every week, you're actually fe- having a program feeding the kids. A lot of times, this is before, um, this is way before they had uh, date pricing on products. Uh-huh. Just like eggs, um, milk, and so forth. At like, say, like there was a place called um, Bancroft, uh, Bancroft Dairy, and they had eggs, milk, butter and all those kind of things. And after three or four days, they would actually throw that stuff away. But now they give it to us because mm-hmm. it, you know, serving the community. I mean, eggs good, good for two weeks at least, you know, mm-hmm. milk is good for another week, you know, so forth. So we would hit those institutions up in our community who are benefiting from people in our community. Right. right. And so we would tally all of our food up and see what we had and we would make the menus and put them out to the community. And then when when the breakfast program, like say on Monday, the breakfast program starts, we would have a person at the walkway, walking the kids from wherever they're at 
to over to the breakfast program. Because at 7 o'clock, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, people are trying to get to work by 8, you know. And, and a lot of times they don't pay attention to the young people, you know. Mm-hmm. So we have a person out there at the crosswalk. Then we have a person who welcomes the person once they, you know, get them into the church. Uh, they sign up, right? And a person there to welcome them, welcome and ask them, are they allergic to anything, right? Because most kids know what they're allergic to. If they're allergic to peanut butter, uh, grapefruit, whatever it may be, yeah, they would know tell, it. Uh-huh. They will tell you, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't want that, <laughs> uh-huh. right? And so we know not to serve them that, right? So he goes. That person, young person, goes to have a seat. Uh, then next thing you know, uh, one of the servers. We you, you have to have a, two servers to serve food because kids come in in bunches. Because even when I was a kid, when I went to school, I always went by my partner's house and picked him up before we walked to school. There was no parents dropping kids off in cars back in those days. We would walk into school. Mm-hmm. You know? So it might be four or five of us walking to school. And that's the way young people do. You know, they stop over their friends or their cousins house and they all walk to school. They all come to the breakfast program at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you need a person to pick up the donation, you know, as a regular route. You know, ask them if they can make the, the business people can make the donation uh, a regular thing, a weekly, a monthly donation. Some people only want to give once, but other people can afford to give on a weekly basis or every every two weeks. So your key person is the person picking up donations. And another uh, key person is your cook. Got mm-hmm. to have a cook, a server, and a person walking the kids across uh the street and a person to register, you know, and ask them what they want or don't want. So you need at least four people at least, mm. you know. And then you just uh, build it up people. as it scales up and more kids. Oh, start. definitely, yeah. definitely. And see, once it, once the word gets around at school, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> <you> food. <laughs> it is, but, but then again, then you have people who are only on cold days come by and get hot chocolate. Mm. You know, and, and that's a good thing. They drink hot chocolate on the way to school. So, I mean, some, I mean, I'm not saying that everybody in the community needs the breakfast program, but some people do need the breakfast program and we have it there for them. Because during the time the Black Panther Party started the breakfast program, the city of Oakland was way below the, the government poverty level. Actually, young people were fainting, falling out in school. And, and the, the Alameda County School Board didn't have any solution to the problem. You know what they would do? They would take that kid back home, assuming that there's food at the house. I mean, if there was food at the house, the kid would have ate the food before he went to school. Yeah. You know? So they missed that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not, to men- not to mention, too, I mean, I've seen kids' school lunches that they give them that's like a, a sweetened yogurt, you know what I mean? Uh it's like a trail mix with candy inside of it or something and uh um you you know and the chocolate milk you, you know like everything inside of it has sugar so let alone being hungry the the things that kind of like affect your your mood your ability to focus and things like that too a healthy meal is yes a, is, is an enormous thing right was very important uh but uh, uh as as that grew 
the the people in the community started taking on the responsibilities, you know, to run the breakfast program. So even though the party initiated the program, within the within the first year, people in the community was running that program. Mm. You know, they didn't need the government. They didn't need no foundation somewhere, no nonprofit telling them what to do. We did it our, our own self for our people in the community. And when I say our people in the community, that's everybody who lives in the community. You know, mm-hmm. that's not just black people live in the black community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so, so those are, you know, those attributes right there brought about an organizing mechanism where people came to the breakfast program, they saw what was going on. And said, "Hey, I want to join the party." The breakfast program was a great recruit for the Black Panther Party. Yeah, yeah, and I, I even wonder about too. Uh, you know, as you were describing it, I'm thinking about, you know what I mean, the sister helping somebody across the road. You know what I mean, like, like the 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 brother asking for allergies and and these different like and and this, you know, I, there's there's that. I was just I'm, made me wonder about how much it played in, you know, like when you think about the beret and the leather, you know what I mean? And like there, there's this there's this kind of like iconic thing that I, a must have made a certain level of visibility in the community in terms of, of recruitment and being known what projects were happening and pay attention to this, this. And you kind of like see this consistency, you know what I mean, from this kind of like from from the shared pieces that kind of want to say uniform but you know what i'm saying like this this and i don't know if this is even if if this is uh, the case at this point but i also think about how that kind of like you know that classic the look of the panthers or, or whatever kind of carried through if you say that to somebody 2021 this kind of like particular style and image will come in into somebody's mind which is like an icon at this point representing struggle and political movement and stuff how much was that kind of like was that intentional and that that idea of like you you know what i mean like shared kind of like the way that people dressed and the beret or whatever was that was that part of a recruiting strategy or a way to to gain visibility Huey and bobby thought about that as well uh and they put together the panther he said we're going to be an effective organization uh we got to have uh, a uniform. And so Huey and Bobby were from the neighborhood, you know, uh, mm-hmm. for the poor neighborhood. So there's not any black person in the black community that don't have a pair of black slacks and a, and a blue shirt for church. <laughs> <laughs> a white and a blue church. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the way it is. So that's what it was. Our colors were black and blue. And we had black slacks. Women wore black dresses, which was easy to obtain. Mm-hmm. And and you got more recognition when you're in uniform, you know, yeah. And in the very beginning. But a lot of people don't know that we did not wear that uniform for very long. Hmm. By 1969, that uniform came off our backs. Hmm. We did not wear uniforms after 1969 because the pressure of the United States government and the local police and the state police were so heavy on the Black Panther Party, you could not be identified as being a Panther. Create you a, create a target on you, huh? Yeah. They're saying, you know, you're in jail or, or under the jail or, 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 or something. So a lot of people don't know that. But the impact of the party in those first couple of years is legendary. When the Black Panther, when the Panthers went to Sacramento in 67, when I saw them, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. I couldn't believe that. Mm. What 
check this out. What what was happening? I was I was on the track team, right? And in high school, and uh, I was on restriction too because I I was kind of messing up. My dad put me on restriction. <laughs> I had to be, be in the house. So one day I came in late, so I knocked on my sister's window and asked her where my dad was. He was sleeping in a in a chair in the living room with the TV on. And so I'm walking past him, creeping, and the TV's on, and I see the Panthers walking with the guns in the beret. I stopped in my track, woke my dad up so he could see it. <laughs> so he could see it. And it affected me so much that the very next day in high school, we had a club called the Buccaneers. I voted to change the name to the Panthers. Didn't know <laughs> anything about the Panthers, but the impression I saw that night on TV, it lasted all my life. I mean, I can see little Bobby Hutt and Bobby Seale walking right now. This young guy who was my age, he was leading the whole crew. And I come to find out it was little Bobby Hutt, wow. the youngest person in the party, the first group, <laughs> you know. Wow. So that Panther uniform says a lot. So even today, there's so many organizations trying to copy that. There's no city you can go, go to in America that there's not some group trying to imitate the party on some kind of level. Hey, it, I, usually start, it usually starts with that uniform. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, it's uh, from our, you know, with our, with our, our 206 Universal, with our, our crew that you know, and 206 Zulu that's just through. This is I, we. It's not not with the uniform level, but I, in all honesty, so much of of what we do is is inspired by what you would say too little. I think you know, it's taken directly from that playbook in yeah. terms of of serving the community. Uh, to yeah. this day, I mean, I think about those, those, uh, yeah, I was born some decades after you, but I, I, I think about looking at those images myself, you know, and, and, the the, the different ways that that, you know, just that the very it, image wakes you up in a certain way, right? Yes, it does. Uh, and the political education too, like I said, Black Panther Party, to be a Panther, you had to do reading. Like little Bobby Hutton, the first party member party member. He was a high school dropout. He didn't know how to read, but he did learn how to read. You know, he mm. was reading uh, when he, that when he was killed, he was reading uh, The Soul of Black Folks by Du Bois, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so the party encouraged people to invest in education. Even if you couldn't read, the party would not go as, go faster than the slowest party member. Mm. So when we had political education class, we would take time to make sure everybody got it. And we had national political education classes where people flew in from out of town to Seattle. Aaron Dixon might fly in or Elmer Dixon might fly in from yeah. Seattle, you know, or Geronimo Pratt uh, at that time. He might fly in from L.A. And, and Fred Hampton or Bob Rush might come in from Chicago uh, or Feeney Shakur might come in from New York or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. in, in order so we can all study from the same material, so we can all be in lockstep with each other on a national on a national basis. Yeah, that says a lot, man. Traveling just just for the study, huh? Hey, we, we have to because yeah. we're the new image. We're the we're the new model. We're out changing the community. During the time Black Panther Party was around, there was no gang problem. There was not a gang problem. The Black Panther Party dissolved gangs in mm -hmm. most cities in America. Now, in Chicago, they have the, the Stone Rangers. I mean, that's the oldest gang in America. But even at, even the film about Fred Hampton, 
yeah. shows, he was taking party members. He was taking members from that group. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, and, and unifying, too, with other, with, with, with rivals, right? Yes. I mean, different groups, you know, because what we were doing was not a territorial thing. And that's what the Black Panther Party broke down, that territorial, you can't come to the east side or you can't come to the west side stuff mm-hmm. in most cities. We squashed that because there's no gang in America more powerful than the Black Panther Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> there's no gang that's more powerful than I mean, the training, the organization, you know what I mean? The, like, that's, a, that's a different level of... I mean, one of the powers of gangs is organization, right? Yes. And and the the ultimate organization of something like this, yo, and uh, the um, yeah, yeah, that and, and that idea of like you can't come to the east side or west side, uh, that's not freedom, right? It's ironic that these that that even that create these kind of like institutions even within communities that would inhibit our ability to move freely to to be to be safe in our own space, like that. Well, you know, it's mostly territorial tribalism kind of thing, you know? Uh, You can't come over here. But like I said, the party dissolved all that in most cities because we were drawn from every part of the community, the intellect, the business part of the community, the student part of the community. People respected us on all levels because what we were doing was very unique. They Mm. could see that, even with the lowest conscience. You can see the hey, they're feeding kids. They have a senior escort service. They're escorting seniors so their persons won't get snatched and won't be assaulted. They're taking families to prisons to visit their loved ones so they can keep the family unit together. You know, mm-hmm. they they are doing they they brought sickle cell anemia out to the public. It was hidden before. Black Panther Party and the Black Panther Party newspaper was an educational tool. We were vanguard. The paper was a vanguard. You read the paper, and now you know what was going on in Africa. Mm. You find out what was happening with the ANC. You can find out what was happening with Philemo and Swapo in, in the frontline liberation fighters in Africa. You can read that in the Panther paper. Also, you can read about how the brothers in in, um, in New York are fighting uh, lead-based paint because many kids, all those old apartments in, in New York and places like that, the landlords use lead-based paint. Oh, yeah. Now the kids had lead poisoning. It's not a big thing today like it was back 30, 40 years ago, but a lot of kids was poisoned and yeah. died, yeah. you know? Yeah, so we fought on, on all fronts. Sickle cell anemia, like I said, we brought that brought that to light. Matter of fact, the first time sickle cell anemia was ever heard on TV was by Bobby Seale on the Mike Douglas show. Really? That's right. Wow. Uh, uh, John Lennon and his wife Yoko had invited Bobby to be on the program with them. So they were, so, were they the initial guests that got booked on the show? And they got a, John they got Lennon and Yoko. On Yoko Ono, said, said, uh, Bobby Seal is coming with us. Yeah, that's wow. what he said. He said Bobby and my friends. And he had he brought Angela Davis with him too. Wow, wow. Angela and Bobby and Bobby was on Michael Mike Douglas show talking about sickle cell anemia. And our testing program. Wow. I wonder if that clip is still out there. It's, it's on our website. It's oh, it about, is? Yes. Or you can find it in the San Francisco Bay Area TV archives. 
Okay. Now we're going to come back to the website. I, I am going to ask you more about it, but go ahead and drop. But what the just in case people, I know no one would tune out of this podcast before the very end. But what's the what's the website? Real quick, so just anybody's oh, listening oh, right now, you can Google it right now. It's, it's about time. BPP.com. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's about time. BPP.com. All yeah. one word. Yeah, there's right? so much on there. So much yeah, on there. And, yeah, yeah, and we will, and, and we'll double back on it. But before okay. we go go far, you, I, I, that you made me interested. You mentioned the Fred Hampton film, um, and for anybody that's listening, I'm talking about Judas and the and the Black Messiah. That's uh, the recent film about the last years of um, Chairman Fred Hampton, Chairman of the Illinois chapter, the Black Panther Party, um, leading up to his murder by Chicago police and that raid organized by the FBI. But what um yeah what was your what was your take on that movie in terms of I don't know accuracy intent and yeah what'd you think about that? Well, it's a big one, right? Uh, I'll give it a B. Give it a B. And the, and the reason I give it a B because I don't particularly like the angle or the way they went about telling the story. Okay. Right, they're telling the story of a Black Panther and Fred Hampton through a snitch. Yeah. What gives him? <laughs> the right to be I mean, the to be the really, centerpiece of the this story. This guy was a crook when he joined the party, and he was a crook when he left the party. Mm. So why they chose to view the movie through his eyes, I don't know. They had they had Fred Hampton story right there. They could have viewed why did Fred join the party? Who was this guy? Where did he come from? Yeah, how it, did he connect with the party? It, they didn't go into any of that. They just went from the leather coat part. To yeah. the militant part and yeah. and undercover, you know, but they didn't bring up COINTELPRO. Pro. They didn't mm-hmm. bring up some of the elements that was happening at that time. Now Fred was part of a national scheme by the government to discredit and destroy the Black Panther Party. He was a victim of FBI. The FBI had a special uh, a program called Co-Intel Pro, which stands for Counter Intelligent Program. Mm-hmm. They run this on different states, like Russia, different countries, but they was running this on us. Now, this program has been in existence as far back as Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, um, uh, 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 Marcus Garvey was a victim of the United States government, tax evasion and so forth. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Robeson, any black person who came down the line that could organize, next thing you know, they're indicted by the FBI or tripped up by them. So it was all a part of this game that they were playing to destroy the party. And Fred was, like I said, you've seen the movie, Fred was a dynamic brother. Mm-hmm. Fred was bringing people together. He was bringing those Chicanos together. He was bringing white people together. As a matter of fact, they invented a word that people use today. It's called Rainbow Coalition. Yeah. yeah. You know? So when people talk about uh, a coalition building, we we can show them that example. You know, yeah. that we work with everybody. You know, uh, we are we are the sons and daughters of Malcolm X. And one of the things that Malcolm says, you don't judge a person by his color. You judge a person by their deeds and their actions. And that's what the Black Panther Party did. You know, we believe in not a race struggle, but a class struggle. You know, and that's what made us different from a lot of other groups because they were stuck into that race thing. No, we are all oppressed. 
<laughs> we are all oppressed and we're in the same boat. So if we're in the same boat, we should all be rowing in the same direction. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how much do you think, I, maybe let's take this to today in those terms of kind of like that divide and conquer. How much of the society we live in was based on this idea of separating separating oppressed people, particularly people of the same class into these different groups or like dividing different privileges to keep this idea of racial separation and, and other elements that break people apart that could easily find this common goal, common oppressor, et cetera. How much do you feel that plays into, how are we doing with that in 2021? Well, uh, well people are gaining consciousness every day, uh, but that, like, like you said, that divide and conquer started on the plantation, mm-hmm. the house Negro and the field Negro. So we can take that example, the educated and the uneducated, you know, the people who live in the hood and the people who live in nice neighborhoods. There's many divisions here in America because that's what capitalism does. It divides people up in different sections and they pit people against one another. They pit people against like uh, I remember one at one point in American history they were treating Irish people like they were black people. I they, they wouldn't they wouldn't let Irish people have no job. They wouldn't let Irish people do anything. They treated them like they were dirt. Yeah, and we could I, I, yeah I think there's kind of like a historical precedent for that too, right? Like the er, the early forms of when I mean they need our labor, right? Yeah. And at, and at the beginning of this. This the the formation of this nation of the United States when they had indentured servants and they had people that were kidnapped and enslaved, they had captured native people, and they and and there was more people that were oppressed for their labor than there was overseers, right? And and it seems like that's a desperate position to be in in this idea of dividing people within that within that, and it's deep. Like when you think, so it would be easier to take. Take, say, if this is European colonizers, to take the European people, give them more privilege than anyone else, even even if you're still taking labor from them and keep and, and keep a separation there. But the idea, like you said, of like someone in the house, someone in the field, educated or non-educated, the way that that could get so deep and fine-tuned <laughs> that there could be even divisions within the smallest group of a community. Exactly. And, and just... Just with migration, you know, uh, people, so all those people are moving, like the great migration that brought many Panthers and their families to California. You know, my family came from Alabama. The Hilliard family came from Alabama. The Newton family came from Louisiana. Bobby Seals family came from Texas. Elders Cleaver people came from Arkansas. So during that great migration, we all came out to California uh, to make a better life for it. Now, what made California different was a law they passed in 19... Well, as a result of World War II, they needed black labor. Hmm. They needed black labor out in California to, to construct these warships, the submarines, uh, aircraft carriers. There was, many, there was many military contractors on the West Coast at that time. So black people started migrating from the South, coming out. Did you ever see the uh, movie with Denzel Washington, Devil with the Blue Dress? Yeah. Uh Well, that is black people migrating from the South. 
during the 40s and 50s and so forth, mm -hmm. like the Newton family. And many of us migrated to California and we became the first in our family to go to college, right? And because these jobs that was available where because the white guys were out fighting the war and so forth and discrimination, black people got those jobs and they started to become civil servant workers. And that's, that is how people started moving up in Oakland. And it was able to people like Huey, Huey's family, Bobby Seale's family, to move out of the West Oakland community because they had their family had good jobs and stuff to North Oakland, where this college called Merritt College was located, and that's where they were formulated. But it was all because of work, you know, uh, the Great Migration, people coming out to California looking for bigger and better opportunities. Mm -hmm. And and like the first, like the first, like even Bunchy, Bunchy Carter, you know, uh, one of the founders of the L.A. chapter, you know, he's from Louisiana. So most of the party members are from the South, you know. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's it, that also that idea that so much of of political power and from on both sides of that that coin comes and centers around labor it seems to be such a, a core aspect of history you know that that brings me to another you know um i i, I talked to talked to we talked to our kids um particularly been having this conversation with my son lately about what power to the people means and the idea of um why that's a practical statement right like what what the the power of of power in numbers that we have the power i guess this is kind of an argument for unity in that respect but I, i'm not sure exactly how to phrase the question i'm asking but i, I mean just coming off of that if, if if my if my son asked you right now um brother brother billy x jennings uncle uncle billy what what does power to the people mean how would you answer that question well, I will make sure he understand. I had to break it down to a level that he could understand it. Okay. How, how, how old is he? Uh, 11. Okay. Well, I would tell him by, by, by that time, he's heard, he's heard of the Constitution. Yep. Right? So I would tell him the Constitution guarantees people certain rights in this bill. Right? But over the years, they've stopped doing that. So what I would tell them, what power to the people means today is people unifying together to work out their problems, coming together to uh, enhance each other and to move forward to work to improve our condition. Power to the people means where the people have the ultimate decision. Like point number one of the Black Panther Party is that we want power to determine the destiny of our community. Mm -hmm. That's power to the people. Mm -hmm. So we can determine our destiny, determine the institutions in our community, determine our school education board for our kids, uh, traffic lights and other institutions. Then that's power to the people, having control of the things in your community, not from downtown people are running things or because this guy has a uniform and a badge, he's telling you what to do all the time. Mm -hmm. It's when people have power to make decisions that affect their lives. 
That's what I would tell them. And I would show them um, the breakfast program, simple stuff. That's power to the people mm-hmm. that our kids wouldn't be in fed. So we said, we're going to feed our kids. Take control of your, yeah. of your health. Yeah. Of your well-being. So, uh-huh. Yeah. So people needed medical care. The Black Panther Party said, okay, we start medical clinics. The Black Panther Party had 13 medical clinics across the country. And one, two are still open to this very day after 50 years. Wow. One Where are those? The, the Carol was... Downs Medical Clinic uh-huh. located in Seattle. And the other one is a dental clinic that was located in Portland. It was called the Fred Hampton Memorial Dental Clinic. But the county took it over and they dropped the Fred Hampton part. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. So there's institutions. I would show him that, hey, we started this program. We started this program called Busing to uh, Prison Program, where nobody was taking our loved ones to see kids. We decided to do that. And so we have the power to bring people together and keep a family unit together. So we have a busing program. We don't charge people any money. People can get on and ride and just they can make a donation. Mm-hmm. That is power, you know, to do things for people, you know, and, and 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 how we run that is through donations. The bus was donated. The driver donates his time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's power to the people. Yeah. And that's that's a moment for anyone who's listening to take as well. And, and I think this is this is kind of the point, too, that we keep alluding to when when when, you know, when we have this conversation with the kids and that. It requires power to the people requires, I mean, it requires people. It requires unified people working towards a common goal. Right. But that idea that that bus driver had to give up part of her or his life to get to be on that bus for that period of time. You know, that time is a finite commodity. Right. But that that idea that that if if anyone is listening right now on the fence about this idea, that power of giving some of our time, giving some of our space, that simple act of driving that bus for an hour or two and what that contributes to that larger idea of power in the, the force of people. But without that, <laughs> it's no nation without a donation. As I said, yeah. you know? so, so, so the party was able to have institutions in the community where people who had certain skills could use those skills to help people. Mm-hmm. So when the Black Panther Party started uh, medical clinics, there were people who had medical skills. There was doctors in our community. There was nurses, medical students. They said, oh, I got 10 hours I can donate a week to work at the clinic or four, maybe four hours once a week. So there was an institution in the community that was serving the community. Now there's people who can invest in the community by giving back, yeah. you know, and giving back. And, and what would you say to someone who's looking at themselves and they, they can't like, um, they're like, well, what skilled, you know, if you want, if you are medically trained, then you know, you have that particular skill set. You know what I mean? If you already are, I don't know if you, there's, you, you know, there's identifiable skill sets where you could transfer that into the movement in in some way or you know uh but what if what about someone who's who's looking at themselves and they're like well i'm just you know i'm me i'm i'm joe or whatever uh and without that larger identifiable skill set that you could easily transfer and, you, and and trying to figure out how can they fit in to right. better in the community well you know what we used to say in the party is information is the raw material for new ideas Information is the raw material for new ideas. Somebody comes to you and and and
give you some information. Say, man, I can make this work in so in, in this type of manner. Now, people can people can do all type of things. Just like there's people who are teaching young people how to grow things. Mm-hmm. Community gardening. People can uh, teach young people how to uh, be a mechanic. There's a lot of skills in the community that people have that can be passed on. Mm. You know, being a mechanic, being a bricklayer, uh, just teaching, for, you know, in a party, we say each one teach one. Mm-hmm. So if you got a skill, pass that skill on, you know, so that skill mm. could help somebody else in the community, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so education doesn't necessarily have to be you're teaching somebody, uh, 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 you know, a, a school lesson about this or that. It doesn't have to, have to be that you're that you're teaching someone uh, how to break down the France Fanon books or, or whatever. It could be you, you know how to change your tire change your oil mm-hmm. you know how to fix fix your fence whatever it might be you pass that on to someone who doesn't yet know yeah exactly uh-huh. exactly and, and that was and that was a big thing about the party you know before there was an internet the party went door to door i mean people in our geographical areas knew who we were you know uh they knew i was a panther uh I would come around. If they needed food, they knew who to call. If their kid was in pro, in, in, in trouble with the law, we had a, a lawyer referral service, right? So um, it, we would hook lawyers up or they would come to our office and tell people how to deal with their cases, you know? Uh, because in our community, you, got, you can get a case for anything. <laughs> just, mm. just for being black or having a big afro. You know, mm-hmm. because at first, black that's they the system was intimidated by blacks having afro. They thought every black person with an afro was a militant. You know, that was that was their they were so threatened with the appearance and the idea of of black controlling their own destiny and who they were and who they identified with. You know, so that early that sixty eight, sixty nine, seventy part of of the struggle, it really changed the whole, the future, you know, like basic stuff that we, that we tried back then, like the breakfast program is institutionalized, the busing program, even um, um, recycling, recycling came from my era, you know, Mm. It's, it's institutional so that now, I mean, without conscious, you know where to throw your plastic containers, you know, and that divide your trash and so forth. All those things are learned things, and it came from people, uh, the other, the generation that, that back in those days, you know, and it's carried forth today. So many of the things that this society um, uh, looks at as a regular thing was a big thing back in those days. Like 50 years later, the breakfast program is in every school, you know, and uh, you know, people don't even think twice about it. But if we didn't have that breakfast program, think about all the thousands of kids who were to school hungry, who might have missed a day in school because of hunger. Yeah. You know? Or, or so, God, or, or you know, when your when your blood sugar is low, your your mood and behavior gets shifted and changed. And when you're in a dangerous situation that's already gunning for you to catch a case or whatever, you know what I mean, or get or lose your educational opportunities or whatever it is. You know that that sustenance, that that health, and that food could be the difference for, for oh, so much. Well, that was that's because that that you know 
the Black Panther Party, the Hugh P. Newton Bobby Seale established a 10-point program. And out of that 10-point program, uh, people know us from point number seven. We want an immediate end of the police brutality of Black people in, the, in our community. Now, that was point number seven. There was other points that came before that, but we had to act on point number seven because Black people were dying. They're being killed by police on a regular basis. So mm -hmm. when the Black Panther Party started patrolling the police, we started, we set an example right there of one, you can have, you can be armed and you can patrol the police because it's lawful that you can do that. And, the, and the, what the Black Panther Party was doing was enforcing a new law that the police wasn't enforcing. And that law was called the Miranda Act. The Miranda Act to came into being in 1966. The party came into being in 1966. Mm -hmm. So when he and Bobby was patrolling the cops and 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 uh, they did it with a law book. And see, that's what one thing history has dissected out of our arms is that law book. We mm -hmm. always carry guns in a law book so we can read the law to the police because most police did not know the law. You know, they were kind of like stupid. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, seriously, I mean, you in, back in those days, you could get on the police department just because your cousin was, or your uncle was on it, you know, or you was on the football team. From how you described it, 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 it was harder to get into the Black Panthers than it was the police department in that description, huh? Oh, definitely. I mean, Black Panther Party, you had to read. To back in those, now, to become uh, a police today, you at least had to have an AA right? You have to have different uh, training programs you have to go to. But back in those days, they were just rednecks, Ku Klux Klan, black-hating people, you know? And it came out It came out in the way they, their attitude towards the community, you know? And so, the party tried many ways. Like in 1969, the Black Panther Party put the community control of police on the ballot. It was a petition saying that there's, we want three things to happen. In the city of Berkeley, we got 15,000 signatures and put it on the ballot. And the three conditions were the police has to live in a geographical area where they uh, patrol and work at. Uh, they have to be a, a, a community advisory board uh, with the ability to hire and fire and substations in the community so people can go there and make their complaints uh, and have meetings while having to take a day off and go downtown. Yeah. And, and how do you think uh, in the current climate of of uh, policing Decent in America? Police. Yeah. How do you think the, those three points weigh out now? Do we need more? How does what do you? What, yeah. Where do you think we're at now? And what do you think we need? Well, I tell people what we did in 69 is, is the is the mother to defund the police today. Mm -hmm. Right. So that we. One, if the police lived in your geographical area, you might know them. They might know you. You guys might be on the same bowling team. Your sons might be on the same baseball might league. Might be related. Hey, <laughs> or, 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 or your wives are on the same, it's in the PTA together. So mm -hmm. those connections are community connections. So if you're connected in the community and based in the community, if you see my son out there messing up, you're not going to shoot him or beat him in the head. You might know it and say, hey, I'm going to tell your parents on you. Don't do that stuff. <laughs> hey, that's a different attitude. <laughs> that might be even scarier for some people. 
they, some of yeah, these kids. That, that attitude would prevail then automatically think he's a criminal or you have to treat him like he's hostile or something like that, you know? Because if he lived in the community, he he might know or know people around him. Or he might even take the kid home to his parents. Yeah. You know? That kind of attitude that would prevail. And having the ability to hire and fire, this is what we need today. Mm-hmm. When the police messes up, like kills people, brutalizes them, disrespects them, he has to go. You can't put him on a desk. He's a detriment to the community. And being accountable directly to the community rather yes, than yes. people within the same institution that this is happening through, right? Exactly. Because mm-hmm. people elect the boards of uh, people on the board of review. You know, people elect those people. Those are elected, you know, people. And having a substation was a big thing. People could not think outside the box, why we need a substation? What's wrong with downtown? I don't know any city in America that don't have substations today in the community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but I'm saying we were thinking outside the box. We were way ahead of our time. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, you know, that also brings to mind, too, putting a couple pieces of this together. And, you know, um, I, part of this, like, that, that defund the police is a negative statement right of what will be removed but part of that that whole platform is about what will be added to this right as well services of people for example to provide mental health you know assistance rather than an armed police officer having to provide that service right and part of that and i think the idea of like reallocating that funds into other resources but with before or or without that happening I, I'm coming back to to all some of the stories that you've been building up until now of uh, of a dentist giving their time to this clinic, right? And I wonder how that idea of of donating time, talents, and skills could potentially play into the idea that we need more resources, right? In order for for there to be situations not handled by armed police officers that could or should be handled by other type of, of professionals better equipped to deal with these particular circumstances, right, that they would might send the police for. And and how do you think this idea of volunteerism and, and organizing around, you built an entire clinic, right, around this, this idea of pulling in resources that people were willing to give or funding that you were able to find from, from donations and from within the community. How can people use that type of thinking in terms of creating the resources that are needed in order to have have other types of, of services and professionals mm-hmm. providing what the police are now providing? Well, there's no limit to the power of the people. There's no there's no limit to the ideas of what people can come up with, you know. So I would say that, you know, there's always ideas just like we started with those basic three, you know, today we're talking about mental health and so forth, right? Uh, that should be included in that package of, of uh, protecting the people. Uh, you know, uh, I kind of lost my point there. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think you said it. There's the, 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 the possibilities are infinite. And I, I think I, maybe more than just me asking a question there, I, I think I'm just reflecting back what you kind of already inspired from this conversation is that 
when you know what you need for your community, there's, there's no limit to what you can achieve and get with that type of organization because it, and, and the willingness within the community to unify around this goal, right? We have those services within the community. Um, just that idea of doing your studies, being able to, to speak it eloquently enough that you, you can gather people around you and, and, and draw in those people who are willing to donate their time services or funds, okay. right? Yeah. I'm going to give you an example. Okay. In Winston-Salem, North Carolina, we had a chapter of the Black Panther Party. In Winston-Salem, the county hospital had an ambulance service that refused to go into the Black community after dark. They refused to go into the Black community after dark. So anyone who has an accident, pregnant, or anything, they have to find their way to the hospital, which is miles away. So the Black Panther Party, with the local ministers in that geographical area, bought a brand new ambulance. And Black Panther Party members went to school for that eight-week class to be a technician Mm. and -hmm. became technicians. And and supply the community with this ambulance, right? That picked people up. If they was cut, they would have an accident. People would, many things happen to people. <laughs> Car sure. might fall on them. Anything, yeah. kid might drink some poison. Anything might happen, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, they provide this for the community. You know, and, and, and tell you another story. I don't know how many lives they saved, how many kids they delivered. And so forth. James Brown was in town okay. being shown around by the NAACP. They took him by the Panther office. Just at that time, a call came in. And so James Brown and the entourage decided to follow the ambulance. Whoa. James Brown was so impressed with what he saw. This is what he said. James Brown is not uh, not really literate. I mean, you know. <laughs> I was going to see if you were going to do the voice. <laughs> what did you tell me? No, 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 <laughs> what did no, he say? What did he say? James Brown said, listen, I like what you're doing. This is great. You help me spell ambulance. I'm writing this check out for you for $5,000. <laughs> see, you help me spell ambulance. <laughs> they, they, spell, they spell ambulance. And, and he wrote the check out because he was impressed with what he mm. saw. And, and many groups, like the Shy Lights came through there, uh, they seen it, they donated, you know. Uh, so there's wow. nothing that the community can't do. Yeah. We got an ambulance, we were serving the, serving the people. We, hey, we got buses donated. Old Greyhound buses donated, and that's how we started our busing to prison programs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and just to, just to point out, this wasn't, <clears throat> we're initially talking about, okay, people that are already trained with this skill or service, try to find a way to get those services allocated or donated to the community. But no, in this example you're giving, you, there was, there, that it started from only willing people, raised the money to get the ambulance and went and got the training themselves to become this resource that was needed. That's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's potential. Right, that potential is everywhere we stand. Right, it doesn't require somebody that's already done it come out. It starts right here from us, huh? In 1972, uh, Black Panther Party members were invited to China. Huey had gone before. He was like, actually, it was a big news thing that China was opening up his relationship with America. 
Mm-hmm. I remember so this picture of like, Huey with Mal. So Richard Nixon was for the gold there. But two weeks before Richard Nixon went over there, Huey, they invited <laughs> Huey, and Huey stole all his thunder. But as a result of Huey going to China, uh, we sent a delegation back in like three or four months of maybe about 12 or 13 uh, party members and supporters. People had gone to China and they went, had gone to their medical cadre, right? People from seeing how the Chinese was administering medicine and acupuncture to people in the community, people came back from that trip and asked, say, hey, we want to become doctors. The party said, okay, we need doctors. And there was a number of people who went and became doctors and came back and worked in our medical clinics. And you know, just like we needed, uh, we needed lawyers, you know, a, a, a revolutionary lawyers. People went to school and became revolutionary lawyers. So there's nothing that people can't do. And was there ever any kind of scholarship program or something like that 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 the Panthers helped provide for for people who no, wanted? No, Black Panther Party was a poor organization. We had, <laughs> we had no money. Uh, we got for the but it was later in the development of the party uh-huh. as we got as we got more financially stable. We were able to obtain a school, right? Mm-hmm. On, on 61st and East 14th in Oakland. It was formerly a Catholic school who had moved out the area. So they had a built in, like 18 rooms, uh, auditorium, cafeteria, and a playground. So that became the Oakland, uh, the Black Panther Party Community School, ran by Erica Huggins uh-huh. uh, from in 1973. Now that became the first charter school in the city of Oakland. Right. Wow. Um, uh, uh, matter of fact, uh, the, the governor at that time, Jerry Brown, had came to see the school. You know, we had different uh, teachers there, like my Angela was our English teacher. You know, wow. Uh, wow. we had we had Charles <laughs> Moffat, who was teaching, uh, who was our band leader for the kids. <laughs> he, he had spent a career playing with. Uh, uh, Miles Davis and Arnett Coleman. Right, this is a world class school. These are like this is like dream instructors, yeah. right? Yeah, we we're bringing them in, and there's people coming in like Oscar Brown Jr. doing benefits for us. People like Abby Lincoln, people like Marvin Gaye, wow. you know, doing doing shows to help raise funds for our school because they see like, even Don Cornelius from Soul Train uh-huh. came. Came to to do what to host an event or or what hey, did he, he, came, he came to give money. <laughs> he yeah, gave dope. that's even better. <laughs> right, right, and there's been instances. There's been times when different celebrities have stepped in. Like right now, people are learning about Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin has long been a supporter of the Black Panther Party, mm-hmm. you know? but it's not not that everybody knows that. You know, we have different people like Melvin Van People. You know, did did the movie Sweet Sweet Back and a host of other movies mm-hmm. was a supporter. You know, Arthur Ashe used to donate to our breakfast program. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a lot of people who were celebrities like Jane Fonda and Donald Sutherland. People later on started giving money to our programs because our programs were growing. You know, mm. wow, wow. Okay, so before we 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 wind over to 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 build it on on, on the website uh, power of history in the future 
I, one more, one more other side question I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, I know you did that uh, that exhibit on uh, on underground newsletters, and uh, I myself kind of grew up on the tail end of having to create. You know, m- these these kind of physical media sources. Ha- you know, print up a little newsletter, we paste it to the bus window, hand it out, or or whatever to try to have you know, narratives that are counter to the popular media uh, out there in the world. Now we are in 2021 and it's a, it's a way different way different world in that respect, right? Uh, you, you being, you know, being here through that, all the way through that progression, what what is your take on what that change in the way that we communicate and the way that media is from from print and papers to, to social media what do you think are the implications of that? And what should we kind of like, I don't know, I'll say, what should we utilize? What should we watch out for? Yeah, what's your wisdom on on the way we deal with media in 2021? Well, I tell you, uh, media is, is a good weapon to have. It's a good resource that, that you can contact people rapidly. I mean, things that we couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, many years ago. I mean, right now, if I went to my Facebook page, I could contact 500 people if I wanted to yeah, with just a click. Yeah, yeah. Right? Or I could have a website up like it's about time. That website's been up for over 20 years. I got like 3 million hits on it wow. worldwide, right? But it brings people to a centralized way of information because many people didn't know that the Panthers had a website or what the Panthers did after 1970, you know, or anything about the party. They knew what people knew about was the leadership of the party. And that was about it. So our website is about everybody else other than the leadership. (laughs) Because all the leadership, they have their Mm -hmm. own website. But they don't know about people like Aaron Dixon in Seattle or Alma Dixon and, and the work they put in and the work that the Portland chapter put in, and the work that the L.A. chapter put in, because those things are not emphasized. But on our website, it's so. So I would say it's a way to educate and organize people in a modern way. I, you know, uh, to me, it's a way to stay in connection with people, because I used to work at Central Headquarters of the Black Panther Party. That's why most Panthers know me, besides being Huey's aide, right? Uh, I... So if you work at a different office, even it might be in New Jersey or, or New Orleans, you probably know me. I might have picked up the phone or took your, uh, your weekly report or somebody from your office came out here and met me and said, when you come to California, hook up with Billy X. He likes to party, have a good time too, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would know a lot of party members, right? And so today I can, today I get geographical uh, reports from people, what they're doing in their area. Just like there's a brother down in New Orleans named Malik Rahim. You know, he was the leader of this group during Hurricane uh, Katrina uh, that helped people reestablish themselves. He rescued a lot of people. He had a, a vital organization. Matter of fact, he started a medical clinic there in Algeria that's still functioning today. So I have input from people like that, people that they used to be Panthers in different offices. So whenever I post something, you know, uh, from our archive, I get many different takes on that uh, from across the country. 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, women in the party, uh, men in the party, or people. I, you know, like I said, we're co- we're connected with Panthers in New Zealand, Australia, uh, Africa. So information yeah. really flows. I have a, a big archive, so a lot of this information I put on the website, and people make comments on it. They talk about their personal experience. That's how people learn. You know what's going on in different places because they read my Facebook page and people are telling about their personal experience. Somebody might be talking about how they worked on an eminence program, you know, or Albert Wolfox might be talking about the 45 years he did in prison, mm-hmm. you know? So there's a lot of experience and connected to a, a, a lot of people. Our legacy, our, our alumni is wide, even though it's getting smaller because party members are passing away at a great rate. Yeah, yeah, and then preserving preserving those stories is so essential. Yeah, and, and people, pe- people, and anyone who who hasn't visited that website, they're listening right now. Going on that website is is also each. I, I really liked that how that that front page just has these these moments, right? It has these pictures, and if you're so inclined, you might look at that. I saw the picture with with you uh, as a pallbearer at at uh, George Jackson's funeral. And someone might look at that picture and you are right there. The, the internet has the rest of the internet for you. And once you Google George Jackson, you might wind up finding out about the Soledad brothers. And you might wind up finding out about conditions in prisons and some of the, some of the, the dark moments of, of violence by guards in prisons and, and the struggle against it in the United States that, that, that you might not have known about, but that one picture that one moment of life in that story could lead you down so many paths with that power of the larger internet there. And then, like you said, that, that idea of social media and being used as a tool for people's news, that little story that somebody just learned might be able to be shared instantly with that one click. And that is a, a pretty incredible thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mention one thing before we leave, please. October is Black Panther History Month. Yes. This coming October, Black Panther Party turns 55. Yes. Throughout the whole month of October, we have a number of activities lined up. Uh, the first thing we have lined up uh, October 1st to the 31st is an art exhibition downtown Oakland at George Gordon's Gallery. Now, the art is composed of artists who used to draw for the Black Panther Party newspaper. Mm-hmm. The foremost, Emory Douglas. Of course. You know, Gail Asali Dixon. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Malik Edwards and a young brother called Reefer One. He's an outstanding artist. And he is leading a crew of artists throughout Oakland and, and making these murals of the Black Panther Party legacy. They have to be seven or eight of them. And two of them are right downtown. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we have the exhibition going on throughout the whole month. Uh, later on, uh, on the 23rd, we're going to have uh, our big ceremony at Bobby Hutton Park, named after our first party member at 18th and Adeline. We're going to have speakers at, like, such as Aaron, uh, Aaron Dixon, mm-hmm. uh, Erica Huggins, Emery Douglas, Dr. Bert Small. Uh, a number of other people. We're going to have a 
a walkthrough exhibit at the West Oakland Library, which is right across the street. It's right across the street. Hmm. And later on that night, we're going to have a banquet. And the next day on the 24th, uh, we're going to have a dedication for, uh, there's going to be a Huey P. Newton bust unveiled. What? In <laughs> it's going to be unveiled on a street that was named this February, Dr. Huey P. Newton Way. Wow, where is that exactly? Well, it's going to be on Ninth Ninth Street okay. in Oakland. Is now Dr. Huey P. Newton Way. Okay, that was renamed. And the bus is permanently installed on this corner. Yeah, it's going to be installed. Or will be like the bus they had of uh, George Floyd in New York. Uh huh. Yeah, it's going to be installed there. It's going to be uh, facing the Black Panther Party Women's Mural House. Now, there's a house that's a block down, a sister uh, painted her house sky blue and put images of Panther sisters on it. And matter of fact, she went and collected 150 Panther sisters' names from across the country and had them written on the side of her her house. And she made her downstairs into a museum. So it's called the, the mini museum. So you can walk through her house and 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 find out the legacy of the party, you know. So all this is like within a block of where the bus is going to be at. Mm. And so also on that same day, uh, every five years we take a group photo. So usually we take the photo at the Oakland Alameda County Courthouse where Huey was on trial. But mm. we're breaking protocol, and because this house just opened this year and it's beautiful with the images of the Panther sisters on it and so forth, we're, uh, all the Panthers, we're going to take a group shot with the house. You know? Oh, cool. Group shot with the house. Now, uh, so there is a number of things going on. Like I said, now we have a different website. Okay. The website, The website for the 55th is BP, BPP 50th TH year spelled out Y E A R celebration.com. No, no, 55th. I'm sorry. Sorry. 55TH TH year celebration.com. There you'll find a whole schedule of activities. Matter of fact, you will find about three different trailers of different documentaries that's going to be released in 2022 on the Black Panther Party and other information, just like I just put some information on our website about Jimi Hendrix and the Black Panther Party. Now, Jimi Hendrix was a supporter of the party, and he said that throughout his songs. So there's a couple songs that he mentions our name before he starts. This song is for the Panthers, or this song is for the Panthers in Chicago. So a lot of people don't know the connection with uh, a lot of different yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned so, some interesting ones. Yes, yes. There, there was a, just, just like uh, uh, there's a brother named Niles Rogers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a party member out of Brooklyn. He wrote this song. He wrote this album for Sister Sledge. And one of the most popular songs on it is We Are Family. Uh-huh. We are family. Okay. That's written by a Black Panther Party member. He went on his group called Chic went on to make These Are the Good Times and and Chic and a bunch of other songs. You know, 
And this is a, a Black Panther Party member, you know, former member, you know, mm-hmm. and their kids. Just like in Seattle, there's a group called the Diggable Planets. Yeah. Right. Their parents were related to the party. Of course, there was Tupac and, Co- and, and Kanye West. You know, their his parents were Panthers and so forth. So there's a lot of relationship to what's going on today. You know, even just in, just in the music business, but also in the science and business world, Park Panthers Cubs are making a difference. They're carrying on the legacy, like Fred Hampton Jr. and other brothers. Like uh, Reefa One's dad was a guy named Ducho Dennis, who I used to work with. He was the photographer for the Black Panther Party newspaper, you know. But his son today is blowing up City of Oakland with all these bad murals he's he's he's, he's producing. Huh. And, and, and listen, and his murals become a. Uh, 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 Historical spots in the community. There's been a number. Of, he did this one on 14th and Peralta, a big, uh, uh, a big mural of Huey Newton and some people giving out food. Panthers giving out food. Every time I go there, I see people in the community stop their cars, jump out, run, and take pictures with it all the time. That's beautiful. Yeah. Check this out. One sister, I was telling you, her name is Jill. She she owns that women's. Mural House. Uh-huh. Listen, she has 150 women's names on her on on the side of her house. One day she was upstairs, two cars pulled up in front downstairs, right? And she was looking out the window. One car, the sister ran, got out the car, ran around and opened the door and let his other sister out, who was blindfolded. Sister was blindfolded, and the people in the, in the other car behind it was these two other sisters in the car. And so they, they got the sister out the car, blind, they, she was blindfolded, had her, spin her around, cornered her toward the house, and showed her her name on the house. The sister went ballistic. She couldn't believe that people, you know, remembered her <laughs> for being in the Black Panther Party for all of them years. She was happy, happy, happy. Oh, and that's the kind of energy we bring back to people. You know, yeah, that's or later, you know, you know, she had long had worked at the medical clinic, you know, without recognition, but people today recognize her. You yeah. know, yeah, you, I, I was gonna one of the questions I had wrote down to ask you about was how does art factor into into this kind of liberation movement? But you just said so much about it right there. That is yeah. that is a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's why Emory Douglas, who is our main artist, is still a number one artist in in contemporary art today touring the world right yeah i mean like pictures were for a thousand words you know our community not was not a reading community so what emory drew on the back covers of the panther paper people could relate to they could understand what imperialism was Mm -hmm. you know uh because emory would show uh an octopus sucking up all these different countries and stuff like that you know america was the octopus Picture you know, says says a thousand words. Oh, it, bro, it's the artists in the community who are the leaders. People think it's the it's the athletes. It's the artists. The artists. The artists. You know, they're the one with the foresight to drive the vision. Hmm. You know, man, that's incredible. I, I I got I have so many questions left on the page. Perhaps well, there may be an opportunity for. You can always call me back and get a question. You know, okay. I, I'm cut a half an hour out for you or whatever, you know. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. If that would be so appreciated. Um, but, but 
But if you went to that website, I bet you would have more questions. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, uh, we're gonna. We're, I'm gonna double back on this this thing and reiterate all those websites for everybody else yeah. to be able to uh, to jump on those things. Um, but I guess in closing, um, you know, I, I remember uh, I, I also had the the, the deep privilege of a meeting uh brother Bobby Silva at one point and the thing that stuck with me was I at a young age and um stuck with me all of those years too and he was saying how like you know they tried to centralize that power to the people call into being nationalistic or whatever when when in the depth of it it meant power to all people um yes. on on that note do do you any last closing words of wisdom on on how people can live that idea of power to all people towards a better world? Well, in the Black Panther Party, we have a slogan that says, dare to struggle, dare to win. Dare to struggle, dare to win. You know, dare to defy the situation and the powers that be, but don't be afraid to win. You know, we're doing this to move forward. You know, dare to win. Damn we are in it. We may not win right now, this period in time, but if we keep pushing, educating young people, generation after generation, who knows? The spark, you know, like it says, a, one single spark can start a prairie fire. Huey Newton was that spark. The Black Panther Party was that spark. Hopefully, we have more people who are sparks who can start that fire, a, a night, another movement where people, grassroots, Black Panther Party was grassroots. I mean, we were brothers from out the block. Many of us, I mean, Huey and Bobby had gone to college, but many of us <laughs> had not gone to college. So we were a grassroots organization. That's what I would say. Dare to struggle, dare to win. Be the spark. Be the spark. Thank you for tuning in, folks. I want to take a moment before we close this episode Billy X. Jennings referenced the Black Panther Party's 10-point program in regards to their history. I'm going to quickly go down the main points of this 10-point program and read it in the language that it was written by the Black Panthers in October of 1966. The Black Panther 10-point program is as follows. Point one, we want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black community. Point two, we want full employment of our people. Point three, we want an end to the robbery by the capitalists of our black community. Point four, we want decent housing fit for the shelter of human beings. Point five, we want education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. Point six, we want all black men to be exempt from military service. Point seven, we want an immediate end to police brutality and the murder of black people. Point eight, we want freedom for all black men held in federal, state, county, and city prisons and jails. Point nine, we want all black people when brought to trial to be tried in a court by a jury of their peer group or people from their black communities. And point 10, we want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, and peace. You probably heard all kinds of things you could Google to follow up on. Some of you probably already have. Some of these books have done some of these studies. We suggest you keep going, learning this history and the complex aspects of moving towards liberation and freedom in our society. Again, 
Billy X's website is itsabouttimebpp.com. And the 55th anniversary website that he references is bpp55thyearcelebration.com. bpp55thyearcelebration.com. They also have a 55th year celebration Black Panther Party page on Facebook. And I'm sure you can find out all kinds of other information as you dig in. Again, thank you for listening, folks, for tuning in and for moving towards a better future with us. As always, I'm your host, Open Hands. We at the Meeting of the Minds family bid you peace and love.